1: Hello and welcome to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Pittsburgh podcasting network. I am your host and moderator Tom Reed joined today by Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari and a little bit later we will be joined by the voice of the Capitals John Walton who's also been doing some uh, playoff games uh, did get wild game four. Uh, in the Tampa Bay Carolina series, so we'll talk all things metropolitan and East Division, uh, John. But obviously, the big news of of the first off season, uh, first weekend of the off season, came in a classic Friday night news dump. Uh, Evgeny Malkin, uh, we knew he was struggling with a, a knee injury, uh, but now maybe we're starting to learn a little bit more of just how serious that is. Uh, is having surgery. Uh, had surgery, uh, will be out probably at least into training camp, and the Penguins still aren't exactly ready to put a timetable on when he would be able to return. Uh, Taylor, st- start with you. Obviously, again, we knew that there was some something going on there, that he was, had missed missing time, did not play early in the, in the series, played well later in the series. How surprised are you to find out that it's as bad as it was?
2: I mean, not that surprised. Uh, this goes back to that collision with uh, Jared Tenorti. Um, I believe that was in March. I mean, so he was out, what, six weeks of the regular season. Yeah. Um, you know, and you, we we saw him working, you know, he was ready for the start of the playoffs, working hard to come back, and all the extra work he was doing with with Ty. And uh, Sullivan said after they were eliminated, like, he, he thought he was stating the obvious when he was saying the Malcolm was not 100%. So, we knew, uh, you know, he, he was dealing with something, you know, when he was playing in the playoffs. And uh, given how long he was out before that, I, I don't think it's that surprising that I get surgery. Now, that's not like super uncommon that guys will play through things in the playoffs where, um, you know, they can get through it, but they're not 100%. But it is something they're going to need surgery on to be ready for next season. Uh, so that's not that surprising uh, knowing that.
1: Dave, uh, again, I, they, they, they did not list exactly what was wrong with the knee, but we, if you were talking about that kind of out for months like this, you would have to think that it involves maybe some torn ligaments in there. Uh, given the idea that, that that is that serious, what does that say about his level of commitment uh, to the Penguins to try to come back in this few games? And I thought played pretty well uh, for the Penguins. Uh, to make it back in the playoffs and try to help them,
0: yeah, i mean we we still don't know the nature of of the injury or the severity, but I mean the fact that they've already pretty much ruled him out of training camp you know three months down the road uh, is an indication that it that it's pretty severe so yeah to uh to be able to play at all on a, uh, a knee that's that badly damaged and to be fairly effective as, as he was, you know, for much of the time in the Islander series. Yeah. That, that says an awful lot about him. I believe.
1: Taylor, I, I I'm, I'm asking this as an kind of, a, still an outsider uh, uh, that there are time, there are times it seems that people get down a little bit. Fans get down on Malkin. Uh, oh, we play just as well sometimes without him. Uh just I'm gonna ask the same thing, just his ability to come back and play, which had to be in some kind of some kind of real discomfort and play as well as he did. What does that say to you uh to his commitment level to this franchise?
2: Oh, I mean it's huge. And I mean I mentioned it before, you know, we would see him um I I I'd get there like as early as possible for practices and you'd see him out there, you know. 40 minutes ahead of time working with tennis and like he was going hard and then he might, you know, stay out there for practice. And um, even if he wasn't, you know, that wasn't a day where he was participating in like line rushes or the power play work, but just seeing, you know, all that extra work he was putting in with tennis. And then um, there are times, you know, he'd stay out out after. I know like sometimes during the regular season when he's feeling fine, he's a guy that's going to be, you know, one of the first ones off, off the ice uh, when formal practice ends, he's not one to stay out. Um, you know that that late after, but when he was you know dealing with this, um, he he would stay out there. You know, one one of the last guys out there some days, and you could see how hard he was working to to get back to uh, to just be able to play. Um, and so, all, just watching, you know, like I said, the work he put in, uh, it it really speaks to his commitment level to to be able to come back, even no, knowing he wouldn't be one hundred percent in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, one of the stories, obviously, that that came immediately. I don't say immediately after that the, they were eliminated by the Islanders, but but when the management spoke, when when Hextall spoke, when Berg spoke, is the idea of trying to keep this core together. Uh, both uh, Chris Letang and Malkin have one season remaining, and they could become unrestricted free agents technically at the end of next season if something doesn't happen before then. Uh, a lot of times teams will. Try to get something done in July. So, in other words, this coming July, or whenever the first day of, uh, uh, usually it's July first. I don't know exactly when it is this year, guys. What day is it when you can tactically start to sign guys to extensions here? I do
0: because not know of, if they have changed that, you know, because of the screwed up schedule for the right, yeah. 21 season or not. But yeah, you're correct that normally July first is is the, you know. Uh, July 1st as a player is entering the final year of his deal is when you're allowed to begin negotiating a new contract with him right with Chris Tang who came through the season relatively in pretty good shape
1: they obviously know his body of work even 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 the the new management knows his body of work i could i would think that if if the two sides could sit down they could kind of hammer out a deal one way or the other. Maybe they wait a little while. Who knows? But at least they know exactly what they're getting in Chris Letang. How does this injury to, to, to Malkin and the fact that they probably won't see him on the ice until maybe October, uh, Dave, how does that change the maybe the wait and see on both sides, not just the team but with Malkin about wanting to sit down and sign, I can't imagine they would want to sit down and sign anything until the guy, until the guy gets back out on the ice.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, presumably they know more about the nature and the severity of the injury than they have, you know, made public, which is basically nothing. Right. Um, and you know, you would think that that would influence the, the, you know, the decision on how to proceed with a, with contract talks for him, you know, they, uh, Presumably, have some sense of a prognosis that a a player faces, you know, with this type of injury, uh, how long it can reasonably be expected to affect him, you know, that sort of thing. And I assume that uh, all of that would uh, color their judgment in, in determining how to proceed here.
1: Taylor, would you uh, would you be surprised if 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 they went the Penguins went into the season? Maybe halfway into the season, uh, with kind of Evgeny Malkin just kind of waiting there, and I don't mean him. I mean maybe, maybe, maybe their side, maybe, maybe his side as well, kind of waiting to see how he plays.
2: Yeah, I mean, even you know Latang too. I don't know if I would have said you know had even if you know Malkin were were healthy. I don't know if I would have said you know either him or Latang definitely would have gotten you know an extension this summer before. Um, the season starts I think uh, you know given their age it might benefit the team to I guess you know wait until like a little bit into the season and uh, so they can take into account you know how they're playing how they're holding up but uh, I'd say now especially with Malkin again like we we don't know the nature of the injury I'm, they obviously do they know more about it um, given that it's you know a knee and I think uh, him maybe just wait a little bit longer, um, deeper into the season to see how he's holding up. To it. we also don't know what, what kind of contract he'd be looking for. Um, you know, if if an extension would be like a year, then you know maybe you wouldn't have to wait that long to to commit to that. But if he would want a couple years, that's something where maybe like okay, wait till deeper into the season to see how he's doing before you commit to that.
1: If if I if I was if this was uh, around the horn, Taylor, I'd be Tony Mealy like muting you right now, because that was my next question. <laughs> Your answer was so good, you ruined my next question. But I'll, I'll throw it to Dave. Uh, with both of these guys, with 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 Malkin and with, with Latang, do you get a sense at all of what the Penguins would be willing to commit to as far as term, as far as
0: years? Is it one year, a couple years? What would you see? I would I guess expect that they'd be willing to go more than one year, but I don't think either of them should be looking for a, uh, you know, the maximum eight year deal. <laughs> uh, and I also don't think either should be uh, looking for a cost of living raise in his next, uh, contract. Uh, yeah. you know, they, they've both made a considerable amount of money during their careers. I'm not trying to suggest that they haven't earned every penny or ruble of it, but, uh, you know, the, we're in a flat cap era here. We're not sure exactly when we're going to be out of it and that uh, payrolls will be able to expand uh, beyond 81.5 million. So, yeah I I, yeah, I I could see them talking about a two or three-year deal, perhaps, yeah. Yeah. if they want to continue trying to put off the future. Um, but but not much more than that and probably at a uh, significantly reduced salary. Taylor, are you in the same range as far as years?
2: Yeah, I also, I, with Malkin specifically, you don't know how long uh, he'd want. He, I mean, I think he's someone that will eventually still finish his career in Russia. His wife said that much uh, last uh, summer, I, th- I believe it was, that um, she would expect him to play out. Uh, you know the the last years of his career, and or, or at least go back to Magnetogorsk at some point. Sure. Um, I think the NHL being uh, allowing players to go to the Olympics will at least help because uh, you know that's something that matters a lot to to someone like Malkin. And if he you know he's able to go to the Olympics, that I would at least you know keep, uh, keep him around. Like I know, like before, when it seemed like they weren't going to be able to go, I think there was concern with you know guys like Ovechkin you know, that they might just go home, uh, you know before, before that, uh, so they'd be able to play in the Olympics. But that that at least helps uh, what for next season, but yeah, I don't know, uh, I don't know how, how many years he'd want because I don't know how long he'd want to be playing in Russia at, at the end of his career. Right.
1: Uh, uh on Monday on our website, uh, uh, Dave Molinari posted an analysis. Uh, regarding Malkin, and uh, posed the question, and I, th- I thought it was an interesting, interesting scenario, an interesting read. As far as given uh, the the knee injury and the extent of the knee injury and how long he's going to be out, would the Penguins gamble and go ahead and leave him exposed to the expansion draft, and to see if the Kraken would say, oh, "We're not going to take a 35 to be 36 year old player with a knee injury." Thus, allowing the Penguins to maybe keep one more of their young guys. Now, obviously, this would need uh, this would need approval by Malkin, who has a full no movement clause. Correct, Dave? Where, where what, what
0: inspired you to write this? And it seemed like a very interesting little uh, little story. Well, you you are correct. He has a full you know a, a no movement clause, which means that he could snuff this idea completely simply by saying no there are no circumstances under which i will you know waive the no movement clause uh you know it's something his uh, agent negotiated into the contract and, and that malkin has every right to enforce uh if the penguins ever were to approach him about uh you know uh being exposed in the draft which you know i haven't heard anything to indicate that they are this was uh, purely a thought that uh, that occurred to me over the weekend um, after we learned about his knee surgery. That you know he's uh, in his mid thirties, coming off an apparently severe knee injury. You don't know when he's going to play next season. Uh, you know, is he a guy that uh, Seattle would be interested in taking on with a? Uh, I believe it's a nine point five million dollar salary cap hit when you don't know what you're going to get out of him or when you're going to get it. Yeah. Taylor, if you
1: were, if you were in the, in Hexall Burke, uh, shoes, would you, would you run this Would you take this chance to maybe keep another guy? Uh, obviously if they were to grab him, yeah, it would, (laughs) you (laughs) wouldn't be the most popular person in town, but
2: what,
1: what would you, what would you do here?
2: No, I wouldn't because, uh, if you're just – the Seattle has to reach the salary cap floor, and they'd ha, they're they going to have a, – there's a lot of space between the floor and the cap, and they're not going to reach the floor by – I mean, you know, most of the guys that are going to be available to them who they're going to be picking are not guys who make a whole lot of money. Um You know, it's going to be, like, you know, third-line forwards or, like, who, who are going to be exposed that they can be, you know, choosing from – not a lot of high salary they're going to have to reach the floor at some point they're definitely not going to be a cap team to start they would have room to take mock like the, the 9.5 billion would not be that much of a deterrent um I think for for a team like them in their first year especially that it's only one year so I think you know just that alone um you know that's why you know like the we talked we, we've we made our list and like the penguins exposing sucker like that he might be some of the you know Seattle takes just because they, they're going to need to reach the floor and they would have, that's his high cap. It really wouldn't be that much big of a deal to them. Um, and if someone like Malkin is available, 9.5 million, that's really not, that wouldn't be that bad. So I, I would, I think if you expose Malkin it Seattle would take him um, because the money for them, it would, it would make sense.
1: Yeah. It kind of worked out the last time for the, the pick the last time for the expansion Vegas nights, uh, the Pittsburgh pick worked out pretty well for them and it still is. All right, we're just getting started here on the 66 to 87 podcast. As we mentioned, we'll have John Walton, the voice of the Capitals, a little bit later. Uh, But when we come back, we're going to start our season's review of different players, and we're going to be starting it with Jake Gensel. Uh, Please stay with us. Welcome back uh, to the 66-87 to 87 podcast. As we mentioned, we will have uh, the, the voice of the Capitals, John Walton, in our next segment. But uh, uh, with the offseason, uh, we are going to start to uh, have some season-in reviews and about, on individual players and talk about their future with the organization. We're going to get that started today uh, with Jake Gensel. Uh, Jake Gensel uh, uh, has been obviously a really... Really good player since he's, he's been here uh, on the top line playing with Sidney Crosby. Uh, another really decent regular season, 56 games, 23 goals, 34 points, 57 points, or 36 or assists, 57 points, uh, point a game player. And don't forget, coming off a, shoulder, a serious shoulder injury uh, last season. Um, Taylor, just your thoughts on on what he has been able to produce in the regular season and how he played uh, this year, which was his kind of his fifth full year with the with the team?
2: Yeah, over a point per game. um like you said, that's he was he was scoring at a higher pace last season before the injury, but for like kind of a I guess this is still in a full season, but he played the full season. Um, this is kind of the best offensive output we've seen in the regular season. Uh, I – yeah, I, 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 I don't I don't know if we're doing letter grades, um, but – No, uh, no, we're, we're not going to do letter yeah, grades. If, okay, if we – I was going to say, if we can do this pass, fail, definitely pass. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we can take this course, pass, fail. Yeah, and just uh, – before, you know, he got here, it was, Crosby, it was always like kind of a struggle finding a winger for Crosby and Gensel and Russ just what they were able to do all year. um When all three of them were in the lineup together, I, it, I, I can't complain really about any of it.
1: Dave, just just, he looks like in the regular season and I keep stressing regular season because we're going to get to the playoffs in a minute, but it's just for the most part been a model of consistency. When you look down those numbers uh, you know, again, for, I guess it's four full seasons and half of the 16, 17 season, uh, shooting percentage is usually right around the same, uh, point production is pretty close. Again, we, we've got to go back to the 18, 19 season. The last time he played 82 games, uh, when he had the great 40 goal season, but. Hey, th- these were good, like, again, really good numbers this season. Your thoughts about Gensel since he's been here and what you saw on him this season.
0: Well, he certainly established himself as a legitimate, you know, first line winger. Um, I think that if you want to say that he can play a full season, I think you can pencil him in reasonably for 35 to 40 goals, Uh, you know, good hands, good offensive instincts, uh, he finds ways to get open, and when he has a uh, center like Sidney Crosby, who has a knack for getting the puck to people who are open, that uh, obviously is a great asset. Um, you know, he's he's been a very reliable regular season producer for them. Yeah, Taylor. One of the things I love about him, his game. Uh,
1: I, I haven't didn't check this stat at the end of the season, but near the end of the year, since he's come into the league. Uh, among the league leaders in, in deflected shots and tipping in goals. Uh, great hand-eye coordination, and he's, not, he's obviously not very big, and he's not the guy that stands there in front of the net uh, like Hornquist, but just his ability to kind of weave in and out of, of the area of the goal and, and tip shots to me is, is among the best in the league.
2: Yeah. I remember when we were talking about, you know, after the Hornquist trade, you know, who's going to kind of take on that net front role on the power play. And um, I can't remember if, if we talked about it on a podcast or something. I know I, know I wrote about it that uh Gensel would be that guy, you know, for the reasons that you mentioned, um, he would, he's not going to be the, you know, he's not the same kind of net front guy that, of Horn. That Hornquist. Uh, he's not going to, he can't really take a beating, but Um, he's able to do that. He's just a much more agile skater. So he can kind of evade, uh, the kind of, uh, you know, physical contact that Hornchrist would take, but yeah, just, uh, the deflections, like you said, his hand-eye coordination and and his skating really helps in that kind of role too.
1: When, when Gensel comes into the league, uh, one of the the things that just jumps off the page right away uh, is, is his ability to score in the playoffs. Uh, his first season, 16-17, uh, led, the, led, the, led the league in, with 13 playoff goals, 11 even strength goals, leads the league again. The following season, he puts up 10 goals in 12 games, had 21 points in 12 games in, in two rounds. Uh, against the the, uh, the Capitals, and I I can't remember who they beat in the first round. Help me out here. I believe that May. was the Flyers. Okay, in the first so round. I, I mean, this guy is you know we've always you know you, you talk about some of the most prolific uh, uh, guys in the playoffs. I mean, so was starting out his career to be uh, just just incredible numbers. Since then, the last three years in which the Penguins have obviously been eliminated, uh, in the first round combined three goals and three assists. Uh, Dave, what is this? Is this on him? Is this on the line? Where do you see, why has he struggled to, to produce
0: the way he had in the past? Well, I mean, I, I think they're all yeah, you have to take these past three seasons individually, really, because the circumstances were so different. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, uh, in 2019, when the Islanders swept them, you know, it was just a a general bad series for the entire team. Um, you know, it might have been different had the Penguins won game one in overtime, but they didn't, and it was all downhill from there. The next season, you know, which was in 2020, he had just returned from major shoulder surgery um, and would not have been playing if the season hadn't been disrupted because of the the pandemic. So, you know, you really have to take his physical condition into account then. And this year against the Islanders, you know, that whole number one line with uh, Crosby and Rust was just not terribly effective in the series. And I think uh, the one goal in six games isn't only on Gensel, but uh, neither uh, is he exempt from some responsibility for that. Taylor, um, you, 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 you love to uh, uh, drill deep a little
1: bit on analytics. Uh, one thing that jumps off the page here, so one goal, one assist in, in the series, and of course, this, this past year, and we think, oh, we just—he seemed like he was chalk outlined so many times. You just saw him picking himself up off the ice. That he must not have done anything. The man, the man had 25 shots on goal, Taylor. that's, yeah, that's, he, that's he, more than he, the last two years combined. Uh, so it's not like he didn't have some chances.
2: Yeah, I mean, his 25 shots on goal that led the whole team. And uh, if you look, I—I I didn't look at the numbers after Game Six, but I know leading into you know Game Six. That top line, as a whole, at five on five, they were um, attempting more shots, getting more shots on goal, um, getting more high danger chances. Pretty much every good offensive, you know, category like that, they were they were doing it at a higher rate than they were in the regular season, and they just weren't going in. Um, the on when the top line was on the ice, the on ice shooting the the shooting percentages I mean for the entire team it was, it was like it was down half from what it was in the regular season and part of that is Sorokin um but it you they were it's not that they weren't generating chances like you said I mean he was getting those shots on goal but then everything else like I mean it was like the good it, the, you know the high danger chances like they, it wasn't he wasn't just throwing like you know soft shots at the net it wasn't just you know, bad chances, they were getting good chances and they just weren't going in. So it's hard to really pinpoint a reason why. Um, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah it's, it's, it's amazing. His his shooting percentage in this series was four, 4.0. Yeah. I mean, you look at his first two seasons in the playoffs, 25% shooting percentage, 29% in his second year. That's like a good three-point shooting in basketball. It's It was incredible. Everything he put on net went in. Uh, well, so. it's like
2: five on five. The entire team five on five in the regular season, um, they're on ice. Like so combined, you know, sh- shooting percentage was something like you know like eleven percent. And then in the playoffs, it was something It was I think it was like four point eight. Like so, oh. it, it it was just that was the entire team. Um, so in the entire team's five on five, you know, shooting percentages down. That's where you do have to kind of look at like, okay, is it you know the hot goalie that they're running into? Um, yeah. So that's kind of, I think you can look at that and, you know, apply that to Gensel too, given that, you know, the whole team kind of ran into the same problem.
1: Dave, going forward, assuming he's here uh, next season, if you're Mike Sullivan, do you think of tinkering with that line? And again, we don't know what kind of moves they're going to make. So we're sitting here the first week of or so of, of June. Uh, it's hard to speculate what the roster is going to look like. Uh, I guess my thoughts, I'll, I'll prejudice it. I, I would like to see maybe them put a little bit more weight on that line. In other words, somebody's with a little bit bigger size uh, with the eyes toward the playoffs. Could you see maybe them tinkering with that top line last year, the next year, even though it's had so much success in the regular season?
0: Yeah, but I mean, obviously that would have to be somebody coming from outside the organization or at the very least you know, coming up from, uh, you know, through the pipeline in the organization. Not anybody, it, it wouldn't be anybody who's currently on the NHL yeah. roster. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not sure how many times they have to lose in the first round before the message sinks in that, you know, this is not a, a Stanley Cup contender, uh, that major changes are called for if, you know, if you want to have any chance at being able to contend. I mean, frankly, I think that window has been closed for a while now. Uh, but management and ownership don't seem to feel that way. And it's uh, it's their opinions that matter. So I think it behooves them to be willing to uh, make some, some bold moves if they want to give themselves any sort of shot at uh, another cup. Now, Th- Taylor, do you see how Dave leads
1: me right into the question? He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't answer my next question. He leads me right into my next question. Taylor, uh, he, Dave's talking about bold moves. One bold move I could think of is maybe moving Jake Gensel because he certainly would bring something back in return. And this is a team that had, uh, management that has expressed the thought of maybe getting a bit bigger. And I don't. Again, every time we say this, I always say it's not talking about getting a fighter or something, but maybe a guy. Who's, who maybe not put up the same numbers as Jake, but can be effective in the playoffs. Is Jake Gensel someone you would would think of consider trading this offseason?
2: No, <laughs> not at all. I mean, we've seen what he can do in the past playoffs. I think like Dave said, you do have to kind of look at each one individually. Um, I wouldn't look at, you know, this playoffs and say, okay, you know, they need to go out and get someone who can perform in the playoffs because we you know Gensel can be that guy. Um, it, I don't know, it, it, moving him out, I don't know what he, his, his cap is $6 million, I don't know if you'd be able to get someone back for $6 million who would be able to do what he does, um, and they don't really have the, the cap space to be like moving him out and bringing back an even more cap um, in, in the move, so I, and like I mentioned before, I mean, it's, it's it hasn't been easy always finding you know guys who can be uh who, who play with Crosby and and can like play the way he like of, of the winger that you know like a winger that he likes to have um and be effective and he Gensel's that guy and even you know when Crosby's out or they want to make a change we know Gensel plays really well with Malkin too um I I and I wouldn't want to take the gamble, moving him out, Hope thinking you can get something back for, uh, you know, equal or less cap hit, who can do that just as well and also fit with Crosby Malkin uh, when needed. So I, I just don't see any reason why it would make sense.
1: Dave, I'll bring it to you. You, you mentioned what, it, what what they've been doing the last three years isn't working at the most important time of the year. You mentioned going bold. Is this somebody that you would at least listen to if, if GMs came to you and said, hey, we we could do this for you. Give us
0: Jake Gensel. Well, I think you have to listen to, you know, any offer that comes in, any serious offer. And I assume most GMs are too busy to be making pointless offers. Um I, he, he, certainly Gento is not a guy that you go out and aggressively shop. There aren't many yeah. 35 to 40 goal scorers, you know, in, in the league. Um, but I, I think that outside of Crosby, I would have to at least, you know, listen to uh, what uh, any GM brought to me about anybody else on, on the roster. Doesn't mean I'd be eager to get rid of a particular guy but yeah. you know, part of your job is to, is to see what's out there and what it would cost you to add it to your team. Yeah, and and I want to you know just me throwing the question out there. I want to be be clear that
1: I don't think they should trade Jay Cancel. J- J- he's a terrific player. I'm just saying if you if you are really in the mood to try to shake this team up and do something bold, obviously Malkin has the no move contra- contract, and with his knee injury, he's off the table anyway. There really aren't a lot of other players. <laughs> on this roster, you're not trading Grosby. Uh, we're probably not trading Latang at this. You're not trading Letang at this point. And I don't know anywhere. I don't know if Brian Rust is somebody that really gets gets the, gets the other teams that excited. So I just, the reason I, A, we're talking about him right now, and B, I think that there is at least, if you were going, if there was a bold move to be made, uh, I think it would be cancel. Taylor, get, last word on this.
2: Yeah, I a bold move for the sake of a bold move, again, I don't, it would have to just make sense. And I, I just don't see, you know, you know what been, they've been doing the past couple of years hasn't been working, like you said, but Gensel hasn't necessarily been to blame. So
0: yeah.
2: uh, we said, you know, he hasn't been, he wasn't really effective, you know, this year. Uh, last year he was just coming off of the injury. This year, I the whole he kind of ran into the same problem the entire team did. I I don't think that it, it would make any sense to move him just for the sake of a bold move.
1: So your 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 untouchables: Crosby, Gensel, Freddie Hockey. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, Freddie Hockey for sure. Yeah, you to get that kind of value anywhere else. <laughs> all,
1: all right. Uh, as we said uh, 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 on our show later in the week, we will we will be putting another player in the the, kind of the review cycle and and also uh, going forward what they can mean to this franchise. All right, when we come back, we will be joined by the voice of the Washington Capitals and Columbus native, John Walton. Stick with us on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome back to the sixty-six to eighty-seven podcast, and as promised, we are joined by John Walton, the radio voice of the Washington Capitals. And uh, you probably heard a lot of him on, on I believe Saturday afternoon, if you were watching that wild Tampa Bay uh, Carolina game. John, have you, have your vocal cords uh, rested up after that second period? Eight goals.
3: Yeah, that was more excitement than I had seen in a while, Tom. The Caps only got 10 goals in a whole series against Boston. So I'm not used to that kind of excitement.
1: I I, I was saying off the air, uh, my goal is to get every person from Columbus, Ohio that has any hockey ties at all onto our 66 to 87 podcast. John is from the the Columbus area, his family still lives here. Um, So, John, you're just, we're going to keep bringing people on here. We represent the 614.
3: Hockey in the Buckeye State and the 6 I love it, Tom. Thank you for
1: having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, um, Joe, this has been – the series that you have been covering has been an extremely close series when you look at the scores. Three one-goal games. The other, other, the other night it was a two-goal game, but Carolina had a two-goal lead in that game. What has been the difference in this series to why Tampa Bay is on the verge of eliminating uh, the Hurricanes?
3: I think at least late in the series, in the last couple of games, it's certainly been the power play. And giving Tampa Bay as many opportunities as they had in Game 4, and they broke through and they got a couple of goals, even in a losing effort in Game 3, the power play is just lethal. And Steven Stamkos is on a different level. Nikita Kucherov, who in the past, let's be honest, has not been maybe that playoff performer up until 2020, uh, not something that they've been able to lean on. He's on a different level right now. And like just about any team you can point at, if the big guys aren't producing, I certainly know that from Washington in the first round, uh, you don't have much of a chance of getting out of a best-of-seven series. And Carolina, I think, has done a fantastic job at five-on-five. Five. And uh, Sebastian Ajo line up against Braden Point's line, I think they've actually gotten the better of it at five-on-five. Five. And I am not counting out the Hurricanes by any means in in game five, even though – It doesn't look great for them, but I was really impressed with how they stick to it, no matter what's going on. I mean, they were facing adversity in Game Three; Uh, they come back and find a way to win in overtime, and uh, you know they battled back and you know found themselves in front there in the second period. And in an alternate universe, this series might be even right now. I think it's closer than people think. But having said that, they're down three-one, and the defending champs just have a lot of firepower. Andre Vasilevsky. Wasn't maybe as good in game four as he'd been earlier in the series, but if he's able to rebound, I think Tampa Bay is going to be pretty tough to beat.
1: Yeah. Uh, obviously uh, the coronavirus changes the whole world. And one of the things that changed as hockey came back this season was a little bit of the divisional alignment uh, into the East came Boston uh, as the main big team and out went Carolina. And I still think, as good as Carolina has been the last couple of years, they fly under the radar a little bit. Uh, John, as they come back into this division next year with the Penguins and the Capitals, how big of a threat do you think they
3: are? They're a division-winning threat, uh, I think, next year in the Metropolitan Division. I think if you're Pittsburgh, if you're Washington, and you know, I don't even know what to think about Philadelphia because I still think they've got a decent core there, but they obviously have some work to do this summer. But I think when you look at Carolina and the New York Rangers, you're looking at the future of this division. And I think the real challenge for the Penguins and the Capitals especially is going to be you've got to find that balance between keeping the window open, keeping the sun in the sky in the Crosby slash Ovechkin era, and at the same time with an eye to the future that says, look, these are aging cores, and you've got to keep that in mind. And I think you only have to look at Carolina to say, hey, listen, you're you're a step slow to these guys. You're going to get swept in a season series. I, I think they're that good. I think they've got a little bit of a question in goal, although Nedeljkovic, uh, you know, certainly looks like he could be a guy that has some staying power there for the long haul. You know, they still got to get their coach locked up. I mean, they've got a few things they got to attend to there. But assuming that team is back as configured right now, they've got a nice veteran mix. They got a couple of guys who have won. You've got uh, a coach that I think they really love and respect and they're fast. I mean, you watch Colorado and you watch Tampa Bay and you watch even Carolina who may not quite have what those first two have, but they're pretty good too. And I think that's something that, you know, the other teams in the Metropolitan Division better take note of. The Rangers are a fast team too, and even with all the crazy that went on in New York, that team's going to be there next year. I firmly believe that. So, uh, there's a lot next year when you get into it. it you just hope that uh, you know, to, if you are in Washington or you are in Pittsburgh, uh, that you say, well, you better find some speed and some youth on these uh, on these rosters.
2: It's sticking to that point, John, I mean, what with the Capitals, what do you think their biggest needs are uh, to address this offseason to return to being a cup contender?
3: Well, that's a great question, Taylor, because I think when you look at what has gone wrong, I mean, this is now going back to 2018. Yes, uh, the Caps beat Pittsburgh and went on to win the cup, but almost just like Pittsburgh, since that moment three years ago today, uh, they have not won a playoff series. And, you know, the question becomes, you know, we saw the biggest splash of the trade deadline with Anthony Mantha coming in. And, you know, it was a mixed bag with him. He started out really well, but then didn't get a goal in the last 15 games, including the playoffs. And, you know, there there were times where you'd see him take a shift off or two. And, you know, you just can't have that when you're so – Uh, you know dependent upon that offense I mean the Caps gave up a lot to get them including draft picks and you're still kind of in the win now window when you do that so I think they've got to shed some salary the big question for this summer is what's Alex Ovechkin going to sign for and maybe just as important how long does he sign for and I think that's probably the first domino that's got to fall because you've got to figure out what you've got to work with Nick Backstrom for those who Uh, may have forgotten and even cap fans may have forgotten the timing of all of this signed his new deal for five years. And he did it three weeks before the pandemic started. And that contract wouldn't be available to him right now because it was big money and big term. And the, it was done with the idea that day. And you can't blame the general manager. You're playing the hand that you think that you've got. You don't know the salary cap is going to freeze essentially, probably for the next couple of years, because, The revenues dropped so drastically after that, Uh, that deal probably would look different today. But the caps have to live with it now. And now you've got to live with, you know, what are you going to part with money-wise to get Alex Ovechkin signed? And when you do, you've got about 20% of your cap locked up in two guys. So they've got to find a way to get younger. They've got to find a way to get cheaper. They're going to lose somebody to Seattle. You've got inexperience in goal that was not very good down the stretch, and and you've got three goalies in the first three games of the postseason. If you got three, you don't have one. Uh, so I think they've got some question marks, uh, you know, in a lot of different areas. I think going into uh, trade deadline, draft, and uh, and cracking uh, expansion draft.
2: Do you get a sense of uh, what level of frustration, if any, management felt in, in terms of, you know, if, again, he gets nuts off getting uh, COVID twice, not not exactly at a, an ideal time?
3: Oh, yeah. No, there's frustration with him, I think, on in every level of the organization. And that really is a big question, too, on whether or not uh, will he be back? Certainly not a lock, uh, but, you know, there are, there, there's pretty good internet coverage in 31 NHL cities. And they, they know that he's had off-ice issues. And, you know, you may not get dollar for dollar. And that's a big challenge, I think, for Washington. If you are going to part with him, uh, you need to make sure that the return is – you know, this is a guy who had the numbers to support a con Smythe trophy. He did. He was as good a player – he was as good or better than Ovechkin over the two months – and could have easily been the guy uh, that won it uh, in 2018. But since then, he's been very disappointing on ice. He's made poor decisions off ice. And you've got to either rein him in, you know, start flying right here, or elect to cut ties. And what do you do and what does that look like if you do? It's certainly not a lock. He's coming back to Washington. I think it's 50-50. And I think that depending on what's out there, depending on what deal may or may not be available, Uh, may dictate where they go with him.
0: Uh, John, one of the younger players who might uh, be able to contribute to the Caps in coming years is a one-time Penguins draft choice, uh, Daniel Sprong. What, what do you make of what you've seen of him and where do you see him fitting into the Caps future?
3: Caps have done a really good job under Brian McClellan of finding guys that wash out in other places for whatever reason. And, You know, I I never really saw Daniel Sprong a lot when he was in a Pittsburgh uniform, saw him a little when he was with Anaheim, but you know, the knock on him, I think is just defensive things and and things that may be able to be cleaned up. We saw him even as a healthy scratch during the playoff series, but he can score and and he was really good. He was arguably down the stretch in the final half dozen games of the regular season. He was Washington's best forward, uh, at least in terms of offense. And You know, it was a little bit of, you know, you're trying to balance defensive responsibility with, hey, this team's got to score some goals. And Peter Laviolette sat him, brought him back. Uh, In my opinion, I don't think he should have come out, but, you know, the coach knows better than I do. But I think that when you look at what he's done with his team uh, at a budget with his team is good. He can skate pretty well. Uh, And, you know, I put Connor Sherry in that, too, with a Pittsburgh tie. I think both of them have... You know, came in here and did a really nice job and I think have earned their place on the roster for next season. And, you know, at a, you know kind of balling on a budget here a little bit because the Capitals need to find guys who they can get big production or at least good production out of for a bargain price. And I think both of those guys came in and did a really nice job. I would expect both of them to be wearing the uniform next season.
0: Uh huh. And I realize you were involved with a uh, a series of your own at the at the time. But were you surprised at all that that the Islanders were able to dispatch the Penguins in six games? I
3: was. I uh, you know I think the Islanders kind of are what they are uh, under Barry Trotz, and we certainly know it here, maybe better than anywhere. Is that they're not flashy. They're not going to be, but they are going to commit defensively to stopping you and be opportunistic for their offense in other places. And that's tough to beat, especially with Pittsburgh, just like Washington. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. The Penguins and the Capitals have dominated so much over the last decade. You almost forget a time that when that didn't happen. And, you know, now they're both kind of in the same place too, where you're struggling, I think, to keep up a little bit and, you know, I think that was, you know, when you've got a team that's that committed defensively, you know, pretty good goaltending to uh, Ilya Sorokin, looks like he may hang around for a while and, and Simeon Varlamov certainly too. I, I, I wasn't shocked just because I think the Islanders can jump up and do that to any team, <laughs> read Washington in a bubble. The same thing happened to him and happened fast. So uh, not really uh, all that different probably, but, you know, I think that's where it just that pivot to the future. What does that look like and how do Uh, you know, the Penguins do it? How do the Capitals do it? Uh, You know, in a new management change in Pittsburgh, obviously with fresh eyes and, you know, maybe new opportunities for others already in the organization, they may look outside. I think the Caps are kind of doing that same thing. So I wasn't shocked, but uh, I I was a little surprised. I mean, any team with as deep as Pittsburgh was and as good as Jeff Carter was down the stretch and going into the first couple of games of the postseason, uh, I really thought, in my mind, I thought Pittsburgh would win that series.
1: John, good stuff. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. Uh, And uh, we look forward to having you back again next season on on the podcast. So uh, enjoy what little off-season there is. And uh, that will do it for us uh, uh, today on the 66-87 to podcast for our guests John Walton and Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari. This is Tom Reed. We'll talk to you later in the week on the 66-87 to podcast.